0: listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message.
1: All right, we are continuing our series that we've been in. In the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, just going by uh, going through this sermon, verse by verse, passage by passage, nothing fancy. We just dig into the scriptures and see how the Holy Spirit might want to apply it to our lives. And so the passage we're going to look at in just a moment has to do with reconciliation. Uh, this is something I think that touches every one of our lives whether Whether this is applicable this very moment or whether it will be applicable very soon, every one of you are going to have to learn. If you're going to follow Jesus well, we've got to learn how to properly go about repairing relationships and reconciliation. So the title of the sermon is Righteous Reconciliation. It's going to be a little bit different uh, this morning. What's going to happen is for the first few minutes, I'm going to give some background to this topic. We'll, We'll just kind of zoom out, get a broad view. And then after a few minutes of that, I'm going to sit down And our pastoral counselor, Kim Dodd, is going to come and share on this issue of reconciliation out of this passage. I don't know if you know, uh, but Kim Dodd is incredibly gifted and talented. And every Monday night, she leads our um, recovery classes, emotional health recovery classes. No matter what we call it, here's what it is: it's Discipleship 101. And every one of us can benefit from those classes on Monday nights. I've I've sat in on some of them, and boy, it's just basic discipleship. And so, uh, but Kim, starting tomorrow and the next three Mondays, she's going to be leading us in a deeper dive on this issue of reconciliation. And uh, I know it'll be just a tremendous blessing to everybody here. And so uh, this morning, she's going to share out of this passage uh, some thoughts with you on this issue of reconciliation. It's going to be a great treat. If you've never heard Kim share, you're in for a real treat. And it's going to be wonderful. So let's look at our passage. I'm actually going to zoom out. We're going to include, back up and include verse 20 all the way through verse 26. And then we will begin. Jesus says, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. We, we covered all of that last weekend, but I wanted to include it with our passage today. Now, let's pick it up, verse 23. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, While you were on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Wow. Pretty seeker sensitive, right? Um, let's, let's first understand and frame this correctly here. Um, going back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the whole thing that Jesus is doing here with the Sermon on the Mount is he's trying to take what in many people's minds was righteousness by following an external set of codes, uh, a code of behavior. Jesus is trying to teach us that actually the whole purpose of the law was to form us into loving people. People who love well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that's what the whole law and prophets hang upon right there. If you take the whole Hebrew scriptures, the the heart behind it, boil it down to its essence, the cream that you stem off the top is loving God and loving people well. This is what righteousness is. People come up with all kinds of fancy words, and definitions for righteousness. I'm just going to tell you simply what righteousness is, if you boil it down. It's loving God and loving people well, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it boils down to. And, and love is something that is not anchored to our external behaviors. It's something that begins in the core of one's being and th- then flows outward into our external behaviors. But it's not located primarily in the external. It's, it begins in our inner life. And so what Jesus does here in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount is he, he takes external behaviors, laws, and traditions that they were very familiar with, and he drives them deeper into the inner life. So he says, for example, we read it, uh, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. How many of you agree with that? It's probably a good thing, right? Um, and yet Jesus says that's all about the external what I wanna do is get into the core of your being because even if you don't commit the act of murder, you can still harbor a disposition of insult and anger and bitterness towards a fellow human being who's made in God's image. And that's not loving well. You can abstain from certain behaviors externally and still not love well. And so he says, let's drive it deeper into the core of your being. Same thing with adultery and lust. We'll see that uh, in a couple weeks. Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. How many of you agree with that? Uh, Not as much that time. Okay. (laughs) We'll work on that. I'll file that for my next sermon on... Jesus says, you've heard that said, but let's get to the the very core of your being. Even if you harbor that attitude, that lust within your heart, that's that's not uh, congruent with love. And he does that throughout chapter 5, and he does it differently in chapter 6, where he takes right behaviors, but he still says, you know what? You can still pray and fast and give in the wrong way. You can do the right things externally and still have a heart full of wickedness. So Jesus is saying, let's get to the very core of your being. I want to, I don't want to just, tr- I don't want to just change your outward behaviors. I want to change the very core of who you are because out of the core of your being is where, is where everything else flows. Amen. You've heard it said before, um... Begin with the end in mind, right? You're familiar with that saying, begin with the end in mind. I think the th- same thing is true of the kingdom of God. What is the end that God is taking us to? When, when, in other words, when Jesus comes back and makes everything right and expels everything that is not congruent with the character of God, what is that future kingdom age going to be like? Well, There's a lot about that we don't know, we don't understand, but there are some things we probably can say pretty authoritatively that in that future kingdom when it's all completely fulfilled, there's not going to be any hatred. There's not going to be any ongoing anger and bitterness and resentment. There's not going to be any strife and malice and slander. There's not going to be any racism or any other form of prejudice. There's not going to be any of that stuff. So right now, as kingdom people who belong to God's kingdom now, people who already belong to that age to come. Right now, we're, we're to be purging those things from our lives and cultivating the right things in our lives. Amen? Now, you cannot do that on your own. You cannot do that with your own willpower. We need the transforming, redeeming, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to propel us towards that future reality. But as we do that, as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit through the formational practices of things like prayer and worship and giving and, and all these types of things, as that happens, that's when the world sits up and takes notice and says, look at these people, look at village church, look at the way they live and do life. That's where God's taking this thing. That's what the future is going to be like when all is made right. I want to belong to that now. Amen. And so much of that has to do with how we do reconciliation, how we repair broken relationships. So once again, let's look at that passage. I want to share just a couple quick things, and then I'll get to, I'll, I'll invite Kim to the platform, who everybody's really waiting to hear speak. Get off the platform, Ryan. Uh, verses 23 through 26. Jesus, Jesus says, so when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Then he gives another example. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So he gives us two little examples here. He says, we'll we'll look at the second one first. He says, if you have a legal adversary, if you've got a legal claim against someone, he says, don't humiliate yourselves by going straight to the courts which are just going to give you a false sense of reconciliation. He says, no, go to that person, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and as much as it's possible on your end, make things right. Be reconciled with that person under God's authority, under the throne of Jesus, and thereby you become a foretaste of that coming kingdom. But the first example he gives is, is, is pretty shocking. He says, He says to these Galilean Jews, you know, when he gives this sermon, he's talking to Galileans up north in Israel. And he's saying, let's say you're headed down south towards Jerusalem. And you're traveling to Jerusalem. This this would be a several-day journey. It's like 100 miles. And you're on your way to Jerusalem because you want to offer a gift at the altar. And you get all the way there. You walk into the temple courts. And just as you're about to offer your gift, all of a sudden you realize that, you know what, I have a, a person in my life who I have a broken relationship with that needs to be repaired. Jesus says, don't even don't even offer the gift. Put it down, turn around, and go and make things right first. Then come back and offer your gifts. That's pretty extreme. That's pretty inconvenient. But I think it shows us how strongly God feels about this issue of reconciliation. Pastor Wade said it like this uh, last Monday in our, our Zoom call. We had with a few of us that, that meet on Zoom every Monday. He said, it's almost like Jesus is saying, Deal with one another before you come and deal with me. If you've got broken relationships with your brothers and sisters, in as, as much as possible in your power, do whatever you can to first make things right, then come and worship me. But this issue of worship and loving God is inextricably connected to this issue of loving people well and reconciliation has a whole lot to do with that, amen? So I'm gonna invite Kim to come to the platform. Why don't you guys give a big welcome to Kim Dodd as she shares with us on reconciliation.
0: Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Pastor Ryan, for your incredible kind words. I am really excited to be here with each one of you this morning and to be able to talk about this very difficult and important topic. Oftentimes, we just don't even talk about the hard stuff. You know, we, we kind of put it off to the side and you say, well, you know, we're going to deal with it later, but then later never comes. And then we're kind of sitting there and we're not sure how are we going to actually move in and through this stuff. And so when we hear passages like this in Matthew, we're like, this is great, but now what do I do with it? How do I move through this? And what we all need to first realize is that we are all in relationships that truly do need repair. We are all in relationships that need repair. At some point, at some time in our life, we will not be immune from it. We will each need to know, how do I walk through this? How do I maneuver through this? And it could be with people that we love, and it could be with people that we're not even sure we like at that moment. But the reality is, we have to go through this. Maybe right now you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I have a friend who has been ignoring me, or I have a parent who's been unloving. Or maybe you have a coworker who has totally stolen your idea out of their ambition and has now made you look like, look like the fool in front of your boss. Wherever that's at, wherever, whatever context it's in, there is a need for repair. In fact, we know that how we resolve these ruptures in our relationship is truly at the heart of this passage. Repair is one of the key core factors of any good relationship. Often people think that good relationships are ones that avoid conflict, that don't have disagreements, that they are just able to just simply get along. But the reality is they're actually not dealing with the stuff that's deeper and underneath. When I know somebody and I'm in that relationship with you, I'm going to start moving into a deeper part. It's natural progression to move deeper into that relationship, to talk about things that we may or may not necessarily agree with, to talk about ideas and thoughts and feelings that are meaningful to us and that we need to be able to work through. Maybe there's something that happened to me in my life, and I need to be able to express this to you in a new way, but I don't want to because I think that maybe this is going to cause a conflict that's not reconciliation and that's definitely not peace. And so when we hold back and we keep ourselves from moving into that uncomfortable place, from moving into that scary and awkward situation, we're actually robbing our relationships of the opportunity to not only go deeper, but to grow stronger. And in order to be able to do that, we need to know, how do I repair, how do I repair this hurt? How do I repair this wound? Reconciliation is truly at the heart of this passage in Matthew five twenty three through 26. But before I can truly get to how, how do I accomplish this? How do I accomplish what Jesus has called me to? How do I reconcile when there's been such pain? And when the pain has been consuming and overwhelming, I first need to ask myself the question, am I willing to see this person differently than I do right now? Am I willing to have an experience with this person that is different than I am right now in the middle of my pain? That's a hard question. And to be honest, I don't like asking myself that question. (laughs) It's just uncomfortable because it means that I'm going to have to be willing to do something and to go into a place that maybe I didn't think I was prepared or ready for. In Matthew six fourteen through 15, we're truly going to see how the Lord not only instructs us to move into this process, but where he calls us to begin. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. The Lord tells us that we need to walk into this process of forgiveness. He's not saying to walk towards it, He's not saying to walk around it. He's saying, I want you to fully embrace and walk into this process of forgiveness. In therapy, this sentence is equivalent to what we call an if then statement. If I yell at my parents, then I will probably get into more trouble. If I show up on time or early for work, then I will be seen as reliable. The key to the if-then sentence is the result of the action that we take. So to clarify, what this passage is saying is, if I forgive others, then the Lord will forgive me. What an incredible promise the Lord has given us right there. Just if we stopped right there, what an incredible promise we have. If I forgive others, he's going to forgive me. Because each of us know that all of us are in need of deep forgiveness in our own humanity and in our own lives. The clear instruction then is to take this promise and walk into forgiveness. Because when I walk into this process of forgiveness, this is what is going to lead me towards reconciliation. I cannot move towards reconciliation if I cannot first move through my own process and move into forgiveness. It's a clear path that we need to take. There's no shortcuts here. We need to be able to go step one and then into step two. If I am to walk into forgiveness though, I have to realize that I'm making a clear and distinctive decision to learn to let go the pain, meaning I'm going to truly be able to say I do not want to hold on to this pain any longer. I want to let it go. I want to let it go. I want to be free. I want to be free of the sting. I want to be free of the scrapes. I want to be free of the suffering. And I want to be free of all this stuff that's attaching it to the wound that has been placed inside of me. Now, we realize that in forgiveness, this wound that's been placed in me is not something that is because of me, it's because something else has happened to me. So, I'm not taking responsibility for the wound, I'm taking responsibility for what's going on inside of me because of that wound. And that's why I walk through this process of forgiveness. I'm saying, I want to heal. Dr. Dan Allender has spent much of his profession coming alongside pastors and teachers and churches and marriages and students, and he's counseled and walked through some of the most life's difficult examples, some of the most difficult things you can think of. He has spent his entire profession coming alongside and walking with them. The thing that is most amazing is when he wrote his book, book, Bold Love, he was able to truly give us some ideas and examples of what it means to really take one step at a time and move into how do I love somebody who has hurt me so deeply. This quote is from his book The motive that allows us to hope in forgiveness is the hope of reconciliation. Let me say that again. The motive that allows us to hope in forgiveness is the hope of reconciliation. Now, let's take a second and look back. The motive I have for the hope of forgiveness is to create a new relationship with the person who has wounded me. Hope, in and of itself, we know is a very dangerous thing. It is good, then, that we know that we can put our hope in Jesus. Matthew five twenty three through 26 lets us know that the Lord wants us to hope in forgiveness that will lead to something new, that will lead to something greater than ourselves. See, reconciliation is truly restored peace of wholeness and hope of something that's been wounded and broken. It is not peace at all costs. It is not peace at the expense of continuing to be abused, to be put down, to be wounded. Reconciliation is not me allowing myself for the sake of the so-called relationship to be in a place where I'm going to allow that hurt to continue over and over again. Reconciliation is restored peace and wholeness to something that's broken and wounded. So there's two key parts to reconciliation. If I'm really going to move into this, there's two key parts. The first one is me. The second one is you. I have to do my part and you have to do your part. Reconciliation cannot happen if both parties are not 100% engaged. That means I have to do me, you have to do you. And we've heard that saying a lot, least especially I have with all my teenagers running around. You know, do you boo, right? Have you heard that? Yeah. Luke 7.47 says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. Her great love has shown this but whoever has been forgiven little will love little. See, my ability to forgive much is directly connected to the amount of times I am willing to walk into that forgiveness process. Each time I walk into that process and I allow myself to experience that deep pain and hurt and I walk through forgiveness, I will then have a greater propensity to walk into reconciliation. Reconciliation. Matthew 5 says, I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. Do you see the work that forgiveness is taking? It's something that's foundational. It requires a growth in me, This needs to take place in me, this growth, this engagement 100% before I'm ever going to be able to walk into what comes next, which is that hope of reconciliation. So we talked about my part, what I need to be working on, what, what God is doing in me. Now let's talk about reconciliation, what that means for you. Sometimes the you is actually me, right? Because I'm the one who who created the hurt, who created the wound. And sometimes it's not. But either way, I have to be fully engaged in this. I cannot do the work on my own. Meaning I work through forgiveness and it can't stop there if reconciliation is going to occur. We have to be able to engage both parts. The goal then is to mend and repair. And as I said earlier, we want to be able to soothe like aloe over a sunburn when it comes to repair. See, relationships and, re- I'm sorry, re- repairs to relationships like a aloe is to sunburn. Repairs to relationships like aloe is to a sunburn. And when I do this, I'm allowing this to smooth over that and create this coolness and sense of calm that was something that was burnt and hurt hard and hurt. This takes a willingness of us allowing ourselves to walk together, to walk together into something that is difficult, to maybe step into ground that is unsteady, like loose dirt. To be able to walk into a quagmire to be able to walk through mud in a way that allows me to know i'm going to be able to get to the other side and we see this so often in movies where they're looking at things and they're walking through passages and every time the path to get from where they're at to where they want to be or where they hope to be is filled with all these different obstacles and things to be able to get through in high school i had the opportunity to spend a summer or half a summer in in a, in a camp in Colorado and it was a really a life-changing experience for me. One where the lessons truly will stay with me for the rest of my life. One of the activities we embarked on was being able to hike up the Sangre de Cristo mountain range and more specifically the Rainbow Trail. As I was in going through this process, it was incredible to me to be able to see all the different components that needed to go into making this trip happen. And at 17, I was truly filled with misplaced confidence. I really thought, oh, I've been hiking before. In fact, I've been hiking many times. It's not going to be that hard to hike up past the timber line. Well, <laughs> let's just say I quickly learned not only could I have never done that by myself, but I truly needed a team to do it with me. Now, let me just put this into perspective. The Rainbow Trail is 100 miles from start to finish. And a half-day hike is roughly round-trip five miles. And we hiked this trail for four days. So this was not something that we just did, and we were able to say, hey, we're just going to take a couple things for a little bit. We literally needed to be able to pack everything that we needed at that time, anything that we can imagine. We had to carry it with us. So when it came time to packing our packs to get ready for this hike, we had to have everything laid out and then we had to put things in the pack in a specific order. Because if we didn't put it in a specific order, we were not going to be able to fully be able to engage that hike. I did not want to be able to misplace heavier and lighter things in a way that was going to put a lot of burden on my shoulders. I wanted to be able to put it more on my hips where the belt was that helped me carry that back. It was huge. It was something that I needed to be able to know how to do very specifically, meticulously, and intentionally if I was ever going to make it up that mountain. There were many times in the hike where the ground was super unstable. Shifting rock, loose dirt, mud from recent rain really made it to where we had to be truly patient and mindful as we began to make that hike. There were times where we needed to get through a pass and we needed to step directly in front of the person who was before us. But sometimes that was really hard to do when you truly couldn't see that person in front of you. There was thick brush and weeds and grasses and all these different things around, so it made it hard to be able to see where exactly did that person go before you. But we needed to know that, so there was this, this form of communication that we had to create to be able to know how do we move through this, especially when the path was thin and the edge was sharp and the mountain's here, and the edge of the mountain's here. Like, really, no bigger than this podium. We had to be able to work together. We had to be able to take it as a team. It takes knowing, no matter what, how hard that hike can get, or how thin that edge of path is, we truly desire to accomplish something greater than ourselves, and come out stronger on the other side. We know that the person we're in this relationship desires to do that same thing, desires to move into reconciliation when they're able to share our pain, when they're able to acknowledge their own part in this, and when they're able to desire to build a brand new relationship. We know someone has or is able to share a pain when there is a deep, heart-changing acknowledgement of the rupture in that relationship. Without that, we just simply cannot move into reconciliation. They can say that they want it, but truly in this moment, their actions have to line up with their words. There has to be a unity there. Because either your actions and your words are going to deny each other or they're going to support each other. And in this moment, we want them to support each other. This requires not only a simple apology, but a humble spirit who was able and is able to embody the wrong and desire change in a new way. That means from the inside out. This is something that starts within me and moves out. It means they're willing to turn away from the thing that caused the wound. And so earlier we talked about how God has called us to walk into this process of forgiveness. Now we're talking about how he's asked us to walk away from that, that whatever that is that caused the wound. Whatever, let's name that whatever you want to name it. But he's saying move away from that and continue to move in this direction. And that's something that can be really hard to do if we're filled with whatever our ideas of, or why we need to be connected and attached to that. But he's saying, please walk away from that. Let's take a moment, take a deep breath, and step away. This can create a truth soothing over that hurt when that happens. When someone is able to share the pain, when they're able to acknowledge that their own part, again it's like aloe over a sunburn. It's a soothing of the hurt that allows us to know deep down we can continue this forward movement with this person. And lastly, because there's been this shift starting in the heart, moving through the mind and out towards the actions, we can see a clear desire to a new relationship. This is when we're able to see we're going to be able to clearly move in that direction to the new relationship. There's a specific order here. We have to be able to have that shared pain. We have to be able to have that acknowledgement of the hurt. And then we have to be able to move and see the desire. Our, our natural inclination is to desire the new relationship. But that can't come before the other steps. That can only be something that we move into as we've been working through these other things. Like most things in life, if I'm willing to take it step by step, slow at a time, and move through this process, I'm going to get to the desire and the goal that I really want, which is something new and brand new in the relationship. Kinsuji is the Japanese art of bringing back something together that has been broken. Like reconciliation, the process of kintsugi is meticulous. It can be difficult to acquire the perfect ratio of epoxy adhesive, rice flour, and mica gold powder. Every repaired piece is called a scar. Isn't that funny? Every repaired piece is called a scar. And it becomes a very beautiful and unique part of the design. Depending on the amount of damage that is done to each piece, it could take up to two months before the piece is fully restored. Not only is this damage embraced, but they also embrace the process and the beauty of reconciliation. They embrace the beauty and the pain of walking through the process because they know with the Lord they're going to be able to move forward together and create something beautiful and new. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.